All right, so we will start by our patron for this. Anybody here for the first time? Uh, Theology on Tap? That's for the first timers. It's all right. If you could come up here and just tell us why you're here and... <laughs> no? It's all right. So our patron for the series, we chose Blessed uh, Carlo Acutis, and we've been sharing some facts about this young gentleman. Who, he is an, an amazing uh, Eucharistic fellow, um, and praise God, one day he'll be a saint. So fact number 13, Carlo's cause for canonization began in 2013, and he was designated venerable in 2018. He was called Blessed after October 10th, 2020. So very recently, fact 14, the beatification rite of Carlo Acutis took place on Saturday, October 10th, 2020 at 4 p.m. in the Upper Basilica of San Francisco in Assisi. Francesco, sorry. The date was close to an important anniversary in Carlo's life, his birth to heaven in October 12th, 2006. Fact number 15. A book was created containing the Eucharistic miracles he had fleshed out on his website, containing nearly 100 accounts of miracles from 17 different countries, all verified and approved by the church. Fact number 16, millions around the world have been following his path to sainthood. Just by typing his name into a search engine, more than 2,500 websites and blogs emerged detailing his life and story. Nobody will be researching me after I go. That's all right. Hopefully I'll be in heaven. We won't worry about it. So on that note, we will pray. The, uh, the prayer on your table is to blessed Carlo Acutis. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. We'll pray together. O oh, Father, who has given us the ardent testimony of the young and blessed Carlo Acutis, who made the Eucharist the core of his life, and the strength of his daily commitments, so that everybody may love you above all else. Let him soon be counted among the saints in your church. Confirm my faith, nurture my hope, strengthen my charity, and the image of young Carlo, who growing in these virtues, now lives with you. Be the grace that I need. I trust in you, Father, in your beloved Son, Jesus, and the Virgin Mary, our dearest mother, in the intervention of your blessed Carlo Acutis. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Speaking of going forth, that is our theme, and it was chosen by our young adult planning team, we worked together the past few months to plan this event. Throughout this series, we've discussed how the Lord gives us his very self to be nourished. He rejuvenates us and sends us out to spread his love to the world. Our speakers have and will explore the ways that the Lord Jesus restores us, 
calls us to deeper gratitude, invites us to relationship with those around us, and sends us out on mission to serve. So what does it look like to go forth, love and serve the Lord in our homes, workplaces, and neighborhoods? Well, to talk about that tonight is our own beloved sister, Jacinta Krisik, who is not new to Theology on Tap. In fact, she has promoted this venture at both ends of the Diocese of Fort Wayne South Bend during her six years of serving in the Diocesan Office of Campus and Young Adult Ministry. Since then, Sister Jacinta taught theology at the University of St. Francis for over 13 years. Thank you for your service. Alumni, go Cougs! Uh, recently, she joined the USF campus ministry team as director and looks forward to more collaborations between USF and our diocese. As a sister of St. Francis of Perpetual Adoration, Sister Jacinta has served in a variety of capacities, facilitated service learning in her courses, ministry practicums for her students, and taught Catholic social teaching with service educational experiences, both local and abroad. So without further ado, Sister Jacinta, please take the microphone. Well, thank you everyone and good evening. Thank you for coming out on this wet evening. So I've enjoyed being with you these past three weeks and um, thank you Stacy and the team for scheduling me last. I had it gave me more time to prepare. <laughs> so um, perhaps we could briefly recap the past three weeks to set the stage for this evening. We had Father Stephen come, and he started us off by emphasizing the importance of prayer, especially prayer of gratitude, for we've received so many gifts from God for which to give thanks. Then Bishop Rhodes grounded us more fully in the Holy Eucharist, the greatest gift of Jesus' real presence with us and within us. Eucharist, a word which itself means thanksgiving. And then last week, Jessica Hayes spoke about vocation, our own calling from God to be rooted in his love and share his love with others. Tonight, it's go forth in service. And I've been asked to put an emphasis on Catholic social teaching. That could be a whole course in itself, but I don't think you want to stick around that long. With this title, Go Forth, I'm reminded of the words at the conclusion of Mass. We are told, go forth, the Mass is ended. Or, go and announce the gospel of the Lord. Go in peace, or we hear, Go in peace, glorifying the Lord by your life. In Latin, it's simply eta misa est, meaning go, you are sent. The word misa, meaning sent, is related to the word mission, missio, which is the root of mission. So this isn't just any dismissal. It's not, we're finished, you can go home now. No, it's the risen Lord Jesus saying to us, go, you've been given a mission. Just like he told his disciples that after his resurrection, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. Furthermore, that Latin word meaning sent, misa, is the root of the English word mass. This points out to us that the sending forth on mission 
is so important that the whole celebration, the Mass, is named after it. The Mass is the beginning, and we're sent forth to live and give what we have received. Every time we participate in Mass, every time we hear God's Word, we can be changed ever so subtly. Every time we receive Christ in Holy Communion, we can more and more become Christ for others in the world. Our mission or responsibility is to live the mystery we celebrated, to be the body of Christ, his loving presence in our homes, communities, schools, workplaces, and wherever we go. The Catechism spells out the fruits of receiving Jesus in the Eucharist, which include drawing closer to one another in unity, as well as recognizing Christ in the poor and being committed to them as our brothers and sisters. When Jesus took Peter, James, and John to a mountaintop to pray, they had an amazing, mysterious experience of Jesus being transfigured before them. They saw him radiant and glorious. Within his humanity, they also saw a glimpse of his divinity. We're told that they heard him speaking about his upcoming passion with the key Old Testament figures of the law and prophets, Moses and Elijah. We're told that they had an experience of the Trinity. They were enveloped by the shining cloud, the Holy Spirit's presence. And they heard the Father's voice proclaiming, This is my Son, my beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. They probably wanted to stay on the mountain. But when the vision was over, Jesus led them back to the valley to be of service to the people and to go on toward his passion and death. The glimpse of Jesus' glory on the mountaintop strengthened these apostles for what lay ahead. Likewise, Jesus in the Eucharist strengthens us in his grace. The Eucharist is called the source and the summit of the Christian life. Receiving the Lord Jesus in the Holy Eucharist is that summit or mountaintop mystery. It's a foretaste of heaven. At the same time, it is the source of our strength and wisdom, our faith and hope, and especially love for bringing Christ's presence in the valley of suffering and need. So we don't go forth alone. Jesus is with us and within us. We go forth through him, with him, and in him to serve others. And there are so many needs. Jesus saw that too. That the crowds were like sheep without a shepherd. And he said, ask the Lord to send out laborers into his harvest. You know, there are so many needs. And we get tired and weary. We're invited by Jesus to come away, to return to the summit, to be filled again. But this time, we bring with us in heart and prayer, and maybe even in person, some of the people we serve and their needs. We lift them up to the Lord along with ourselves when the gifts are placed on the altar. This summit and source cycle of receiving Jesus in the Eucharist, being sent into service, and returning once again is the Christian life of faith being put 
into action. Lately, we've had some readings at Daily Mass from the letter of James. And if you haven't noticed, James has some real zingers. (laughs) Take this for example. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. Of course, he gets this right from Jesus, who made it clear that love of God and love of neighbor go hand in hand. Jesus even speaks about the last judgment with our eternal life being based on recognizing and caring for him by caring for those in need. I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat, thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And the righteous, that is, those who live justly, say, When did we see you and do this for you, Lord? And the king replies, Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. The first letter of St. John also brings this out. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. There are so many opportunities, ways in which we may love our brothers and sisters. Catholic social teaching looks at this in terms of both charity and justice. Charity typically means responding to the immediate needs, food, clothing, shelter, etc. Justice becomes more involved by asking the hard questions. Questions like, Why is this person suffering from food insufficiency? What would it take to truly improve his or her situation? We can give a hand out or we can give a hand up, but both are really needed. So what is Catholic social teaching? It's a part of the larger Catholic intellectual tradition. It's theology, but it's specifically related to doctrine on social issues. And you can find portions of it summarized in a couple different sections of the Catholic Catechism. And then there's this book, the Compendium on the Social Doctrine of the Church. (laughs) This really is the best source for an in-depth overview of Catholic social teaching. What's handy is that both volumes are completely accessible online. So the Catechism explains that the Church makes a moral judgment about economic and social matters. 
They do it when the fundamental rights of the person and for the salvation of souls requires it. In the moral order, she bears a mission distinct from that of political authorities. The church is concerned with the temporal aspects of the common good because they are ordered to the sovereign good, our ultimate end. She strives to inspire right attitudes with respect to earthly goods and in socioeconomic relationships. The Catechism tells us that the church's social teaching proposes principles for reflection, it provides criteria for judgment, and it gives guidelines for action. It's the means by which truth and charity and justice may be learned and practiced when applied to local, national, and global issues. Where does this Catholic social teaching come from? Well, it's derived from four basic sources. One is scripture. In the Old Testament, we see prophets who cry out for justice and care of the vulnerable in their societies. And in the Gospels, we see Jesus reaching out to the marginalized, healing the sick, showing love and compassion, and confronting the injustices of his day. Another source of Catholic social teaching is reason, which includes rational analysis, philosophy, and the use of natural law reasoning. In the Catholic intellectual tradition, both faith and reason are complementary. So we find that Catholic social teaching makes use of philosophy and such things. So the third source of Catholic social teaching is tradition. A tradition is very much in process. It goes back to writings of the church fathers, such as Augustine and Aquinas and others. And it also includes various writings from church councils and papal encyclicals, apostolic letters and exhortations, social justice documents written by bishop conferences, such as the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. So this is an expanding body of knowledge, body of writings that going forward uh, keeps growing. The fourth source of Catholic social teaching is experience learning from history, from social scientific analysis, and from the lives of the faithful. Of the papal encyclicals, the first one that's a part of Catholic social teaching was written in 1891 by Pope Leo XIII. It's called Rerum Novarum, meaning new things. It was a response to the radical shifts in society caused by the first industrial revolution. New inventions revolutionized the way that products were made and factories were built for this production. Many farmers lost land and moved into the cities. It all happened rather quickly and without concern for the rights and duties of labor and capital. So Pope Leo XIII in his encyclical, he emphasized the rights of workers to receive just pay and to have humane working and living conditions and to organize into workers' associations. Although Catholic social teaching is complex, being linked with the ethical understanding of changing social conditions, even so, it can be summarized into fundamental themes and principles. This doctrine gets clarified in various ways as new questions and challenges arise, and yet these basic teachings reflect unchanging truths. 
When we look at the main themes and principles of Catholic social teaching, first and foremost is the life and dignity of the human person. Life is sacred, and human dignity is the core and foundation of all Catholic social teaching. Sometimes I've asked first-year students, what is the basis of your dignity? And if they're not thinking deeply enough, they say things like, what I can achieve, or the good that I do. So then I ask, but what if you became paralyzed and you could no longer do the things that you would like to do? Is your dignity gone? Not at all. Our human dignity comes from God. If we go back to the beginning of humanity as recorded in Genesis, we see that humans are created in the image of God. This is the basis of our dignity. We are each given a spiritual, rational soul. Our dignity is innate, built in. Every person is precious and equal in dignity in God's eyes. Even though sin has disfigured God's image in us, it's not destroyed. Jesus Christ, who is the perfect image of God, has recreated human nature, gifted us with his Holy Spirit, and invites us into eternal relationship with himself. How do we respond to such amazing love? It's necessary to realize that people are more important than things. Each person, no matter how frail or broken in our eyes, is uniquely made and represents God on earth. Every person has the right to exist simply by the fact of being. Pope John Paul II was a great defender of human dignity, and the centerpiece of his pro-life message is the encyclical Evangelium Vitae, meaning the gospel of life. In this encyclical, he defined life as sacred from the very beginning until its end. He saw respect for the value of human life as an essential part of the gospel. The incarnation of Jesus reveals not only God's love for humanity, but also the incomparable value of every human person. Pope John Paul II linked the good news of salvation with the good news of the value of every person making an inseparable connection between the church's religious message and its social agenda. In the gospel of life, he makes the urgent appeal to respect, protect, love, and serve every human life. Only in this direction will you find justice, development, true freedom, peace, and happiness. Another theme in Catholic social teaching is the call to family community, and participation. The human person is not only sacred, but social. Marriage and family are the central social institutions in society and must be supported. This focus once again brings us back to our beginnings. Our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, a communion of persons in love, created us also to be in communion with one another. We are made in such a way that we discover our true selves by sincerely giving of ourselves. We develop our gifts through relationship with one another. The progress of each person and the advancement of society hinge upon one another. Included in this theme is the principle of participation. 
that people have a right and duty to participate in society, seeking the well-being and common good of all, especially those in most need. Dorothy Day, along with Peter Marin, started the Catholic Worker Movement in 1933 during the Great Depression. Their efforts are still growing. Catholic workers live a simple lifestyle in community. They serve the poor, resist war and social injustice. They operate hospitality houses for the needy, farms, and continue to publish a newspaper to educate. And I think our closest Catholic worker communities are in South Bend and Indianapolis. Mutual rights and responsibilities are also discussed in Catholic social teaching. Human dignity can be protected and a healthy community achieved only if human rights are protected and responsibilities are met. Every person has the right to life and the right to those things required to live in dignity. Corresponding to these rights are responsibilities, what we owe to one another, our families, and to the larger society. The preferential option for the poor and vulnerable is another key theme in Catholic social teaching. The basic moral test of society is how the poorest and most vulnerable are faring. In a world of growing prosperity for some and increasing poverty for many, we must put the needs of the poor and vulnerable first. Compassion is the ability to stand with those who are suffering. And standing with the poor and vulnerable means more than works of charity. It means confronting the unjust laws, policies, and practices that prevent the poor and vulnerable from flourishing. There will always be resistance by those who currently benefit from the unjust and violent situation. This was the experience of Jesus, and this was the experience of Archbishop Oscar Romero, who spoke out and assisted the poor in El Salvador. Like others, he also was martyred for standing with the poor. As mentioned with the 1891 encyclical of Pope Leo XIII, the dignity of work and the rights of workers is important in Catholic social teaching. The basic rights of workers must be respected. The right to productive work, decent and fair wages, the organization of unions, private property, and economic initiative. The economy must serve people and not the other way around. Work is not just a way to make a living, but also of participating in God's creation and contributing to the common good. A principle we often see discussed in Catholic social teaching is solidarity. We are one human family, whatever our national, racial, ethnic, economic, or ideological differences. We are brothers and sisters. And loving our neighbor has global implications in today's world. Love of our brothers and sisters demands that we work to promote peace and justice. St. Francis of Assisi did this even toward the end of his life when he was very ill. When Francis found out about the major disagreement that arose between the bishop and mayor of Assisi, he was moved to pray for them. He told the brothers that it was a great shame that no one was intervening for peace and harmony between these two men who were previously friends 
but now hated each other. So Francis composed another verse in his song, The Canticle of the Creatures, a verse about pardon and peace. He himself was too ill to go out, but he asked the brothers to call the two men and the townspeople together and sing to them. Having great regard for the holiness of Francis, the mayor and the bishop listened intently, and in humility they forgave one another. The scandal ended and their friendship was restored. We can ask ourselves, how am I a peacemaker? Can I bring about a reconciliation between relatives or friends who are angry or not speaking with each other? And finally, the care for God's creation is part of Catholic social teaching. Care and stewardship of the earth shows our respect for the Creator. We're called to protect people and the planet. We can't ignore the environmental challenges and their moral and ethical dimensions. Pope Francis wrote quite a bit about this in his encyclical Laudato Si. What can we do? Lots. (laughs) We can pick up litter, recycle, walk or ride a bike more often, grow a garden, and share the produce, compost, grow flowers that attract pollinators, like the bees and butterflies, and many other things. What other opportunities are there for us to live out Catholic social teaching? I think it's important to start with those closest to us, our own families, relatives, friends, neighbors, fellow students, and coworkers. Who is needing some attention, some encouragement, assistance, St. Therese wrote about doing little things with great love. What we call the corporal and spiritual works of mercy have long been a part of the Christian tradition. There are seven on each list. The corporal works of mercy address our physical needs. Feed the hungry, give drink to the thirsty, clothe the naked, visit the sick, shelter the homeless, visit the imprisoned, and bury the dead. There are so many opportunities to do these, whether we're making a meal for a needy neighbor or volunteering at the Community Harvest Food Bank. We can clean out our closets and give suitable items to St. Vincent de Paul store or the Franciscan Center and household items to the mustard seed. We can volunteer with Habitat for Humanity or choose to attend a funeral and comfort a grieving family. The spiritual works of mercy include comforting the sorrowful, counseling the doubtful, instructing the ignorant, admonishing the sinner. And I think what this means is to not judge, but to be supportive in helping others find their way toward the path of salvation. It also includes forgiving injuries, bearing wrongs patiently, and praying for the living and the dead. Even if we can't get out there somewhere to do things, we can pray, and we can donate financially, and we can also advocate for others, such as engaging in a letter-writing campaign. It's also possible these days to lend our voice to a particular cause with just a few clicks on a computerized petition. The book of Proverbs says, Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. Protect the rights of all who are helpless. There are various Catholic organizations that we can specifically support, like Catholic Charities, 
that is doing an excellent work right here with assisting refugees. There's Catholic Relief Services that provides help for needy people around the world. CRS chapters and clubs are getting started in more parishes and schools to assist in their efforts. Another organization is Catholic Campaign for Human Development. They provide grants for community projects and financial training to combat poverty and promote justice and economic development. Also, I encourage you to explore the website of the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. It's usccb.org. They have a lot on Catholic social teaching and various organizations. Just recently on their website, I discovered what's called the Coalition of Catholic Organizations Against Human Trafficking. Pope Francis gave an urgent call to join forces to prevent the slave trade and guarantee protection and assistance to victims. So the coalition is a network of over 30 organizations that are striving to answer this call. There is so much more that could be said, but it's best to give you time to reflect on this and to discuss with each other. So I'll conclude with a story from Jesus. On one occasion, an expert of the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Thank you. All right, folks. All right. Very good. Very good. Now what happens is we have Sister Jacinta is going to come back up and you are able to ask any reasonable question within the confines of theology in the tap. So Sister Jacinta, we'll have you come back up.
Go ahead and raise your hand if you have a question, and then the Alec will come and hand you a microphone to speak into. Hi, Father Patrick. Hello, hello, hello. Okay, good. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, question. How do you balance, like, how do you deal with, like, the poverty that's so immense that it seems like you aren't able to help it out? So, like, people call the rectory all the time, like, asking for money. Yeah. And I'm like, if I help one person out, if I give them rent money, mm-hmm. everyone else is going to expect it, and I can't mm-hmm. afford everyone's rent money in, in Fort Wayne. So, how does one deal with these sort of things? Thank you. Yeah, and and then I get questions uh, sometimes about, well, should we give, just give out money because you don't know what they're going to do with it, and um, but I've actually gotten some good ideas from students. Some years ago, some students I had, they were nursing students, kind of older nursing students, and they invited me to go with them. I don't know if you've ever, any of you have ever heard of Saints on the Streets. So it was a great experience. We just got together with this group and walked around downtown. But first, the nurses had gone like, they'd gotten donations from Walgreens and different places and put together little care packages. And we went in groups, you know, down by the park and to all just go out there to where the homeless people are and meet them and talk with them. And it was, it was really good. Um, so I think it, you can, um, you can get gift cards, have a supply of gift cards to give out. Some people keep extra clothing in their car that they're willing to give away. Just supplies that like that, that you could give. And then of course, Knowing where the resources are, other places that you can refer them to. Right downtown here, there's, of course, Ave Maria House, Homeless Day Shelter, and the Rescue Mission. So that's about it. So this is a very poorly worded and formulated question. That's okay. (laughs) Um, My question is, how do you serve others out of love for God and out of love for that person without letting self-gratification creep in or an idea of, oh, I'm doing this because I'm a good person? That's a really good question. And I know for myself, it's kind of come more gradually when I just keep saying, you know, it's not about me, it's about Jesus. And I tried to, you know, make it a habit. Like when I would go to teach classes, I would be on my way, I'd be go, okay, Help me get out of the way and let you take over. You know, just like, it's about Jesus. It's not about me. <laughs> you know, and so, and really that's that Eucharistic spirituality of he's in us and we can just let him shine through us, you know, and he can do a better job. <laughs> I don't know if that helps. So one of the issues in poverty is just like mental illnesses. Mm-hmm. and people that you aren't able to physically help because mm-hmm. they aren't able to receive help. Mm-hmm. How do you help these people? <laughs> That's a real good question. <laughs> and, well, my sisters here know that I deal with that in my own family. I'm a legal guardian for my brother. He has paranoid schizophrenia. It's very difficult. But, you know, it was like... um 
before I went through the whole process of the courts, the lawyer and the courts and all that stuff for the legal guardianship, my dad was like, do you really want to do this? I'm like, well, I'm on his bad list anyway. You know, me and all those convent people, don't you know, we slip in his house at night and we steal from his refrigerator. We use his toothbrush. So I said, you know, I'm on his bad list anyway. I would rather be actually helping in some way that I can, even, you know. And and so that gets into the whole thing of, you know, some people you just have to help whether they're going to like it or not. <laughs> and you don't expect any kind of reward for it at all, you know, from them anyway. So, yeah, I help with his financial things, what I can with the medication and stuff like that. But other than that, I pray lots for a miracle. And I have to do that to keep my hope up. <laughs> I think it's always important to have hope. It's a really important virtue. <laughs> so, yeah, I I feel for anyone in that situation. It is not easy. And I think it's probably the, the hardest a disability or, you know, cross to deal with, probably. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to uh, the word justice, a lot of times people sort of think of, like, our judicial courts and such and how they work, and that does not always sort of align with the CST and such. So how can we work on trying to change our own definitions to be more of in line with CST and not so much with that judicial system sort of justice? Like the when we think of justice, we think of like a courthouse of like someone who committed a crime. Mm -hmm. Maybe they're being put on for the death penalty or something. So I'm just wondering how do we sort of like take that definition of justice and Catholic social teachings definition justice and like try and bring them together. To bring them together. That's good. Yeah, there's, well, one thing that, that brings to mind is, you know, the death penalty and how we've seen over the years, like with um, John Paul II's writings and then continuing forward from Evangelium Vitae, Gospel of Life, of, you know, recognizing that if we're able to imprison people adequately who are really a threat to society, then we don't have to kill them. We don't have to commit another act of violence and just keep that perpetuating. You know, so that's kind of one place where Catholic social teaching can enter in. And so I think it's um, just educating and trying to um, help people understand the values or, you know, to think more deeply about the different issues. That would help. How do everyday people use justice to try and make the world a better place? I think asking the deeper questions of what can we do? What can we do? You know, we can we can give charity or we can 
ask the questions of why is this person in this situation that they're in? Can I do something to help? Can we advocate, uh, find out, you know, what's deeper in the situation? It takes getting to know the people, too. Sometimes we can think that we can just go in and provide service, and that's it. We've done a good thing. But what's best is really getting to know the people we're serving and seeing from, hearing from them what the real issues are and seeing what their lives are really like. Several years ago, I had the opportunity to go with some students to the Dominican Republic. And um, it was mostly educational. We did some service with, with them, but not so much for them, but with them. And we stayed with the villagers. And, you know, we just learned about their lives and their situation and the issues that they're dealing with. So I don't know if that kind of answers your question. A bit. <laughs> Sister, this is more of kind of like a materials question. Mm -hmm. My question is, um, what's your thought on the Ducat, if you're familiar with that, or if you have any other materials you'd recommend? Um, I'm not that familiar with the Ducat. But I do have, well, <laughs> as I brought out the uh, compendium, compendiums really helpful. If you wanted something that was, um, this little handbook, it's called the Handbook of Catholic Social Teaching, and it's all in a question and answer format. So it's, you know, pretty straightforward, helpful, especially for someone just starting out, I would say. I've also used this book, The Challenge and Spirituality of Catholic Social Teaching by um, Marvin Cryer Mitch. Thank you for being here. My question is, sometimes it can be immensely difficult when we're in a relationship with someone and you can see that they're struggling and you just want them to be healed and you just want to fix it, mm -hmm. you know, and then you get kind of get blindsided by, by that issue and so you don't really take the time to get to know them. Do you have any practical steps to slow down and build the relationship instead of just getting blindsided by the issues? Hmm. I guess it depends on what the issues are, but also just realizing uh, back to that human dignity, you know, made in God's image, and asking the Lord, show me, show me um, more about this person, show me how to relate to this person, how to, to find you, to see you more clearly in this person. And I guess just ask them questions so that they can gradually share more of themselves. Well, thank you, Sister Jacinta, for being here tonight, sharing your wisdom with us, helping us grow in our relationship with Jesus. We truly, truly appreciate it. <laughs>